Hi, my name is Mark Fontaine and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Service Design Show. It's great that you've tuned in again for another conversation where we look beneath the surface of service design to see what it takes to truly make it work. And if you've been practicing service design for a while, you've probably already learned that it's rarely the quality of your work itself that determines whether or not you'll be able to drive change. It's the enabling factors around you and your team that have a great impact on how successful you can be. Or more often than not, it's the lack of these enabling factors, especially inside large organizations. So in this episode, we're going to take a step back from our own service design tools and methods and focus on the external conditions that allow us to deliver our best work. Our guest today is Ben McCammon, a service design leader at McKinsey Investments based in Toronto. Ben is also a longtime member of our Circle community and he recently hosted a deep dive session where he shared the framework he uses with his team. The framework outlines 12 success factors for internal service design teams and acts as a regular health check. The success factors on this framework aren't specific to service design at all, but they are things that easily get lost when you're caught up in more urgent things. Ignoring these success factors can lead to quite detrimental things. Your team might get frustrated, people might leave, and your senior leaders might start to question why they are still investing in this team. So yes, there is quite a lot riding on making sure that those success factors are in good shape. In our conversation today, Ben shares four elements from the framework that we explore together with the Circle community. If you're a team lead, then you'll definitely find this conversation helpful. And if you're not a team lead yet, you might want to share this episode with them so they get a better understanding of what enables service designers to create change at scale. Well, that's all I have to say to get you ready for the conversation with Ben. So without any further ado, let the show begin. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hi, Mark. Good to see you. Good or to hear see you again. Yeah, uh, I should say welcome back to the show uh, because this is your second, third yeah. appearance. Is second, second time. Or thir- yeah, second. second. Time. C- congratulations. You, you've joined the club. <laughs> <laughs> Nice to have you on. Nice to uh, be chatting with you again. Uh, we'll be uh, diving into a topic we recently covered inside our Circle Community, Circle Alliance, I have to say. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about success factors, non-service design success factors for teams. Something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What does it take to okay. make a, a design team successful? Could be a service exactly. design team, but uh, yeah talk about things that aren't necessarily just about service design too. Yeah, that was the interesting part. Um, Interesting topic. We covered a lot of ground. There's an interesting framework coming up. Uh, Before we dig into that topic, uh, for the people who haven't listened to your first appearance on the show, could you give a short introduction of what you do these days? Sure. Um, So I lead a service design and innovation team at a financial services company. We're based in in Canada, so we're across Canada, mostly serving Canadian customers. Um, and our team does a sort of combination of bigger strategic service design, as well as more kind of incremental, continuous improvement type of work. Um, so lots of variety, 
Um, I've been with this team for about four years, uh, but before that, I, I led you know other design teams at uh, consultancies and and different places. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of what we'll talk about today is kind of a mix of what I've seen work well and and not work well, as well as you know what uh, some of our colleagues uh, in the circle shared and and those types of things. A side note or a side question. Um, mm -hmm. Right now inside the circle, I think we have people representing just over 10 different countries, but there is an unequal large amount of members from Toronto. <laughs> Why is that then? <laughs> well, I think um, sort of an evolution over the last few years. I think in Canada, we've seen a lot more uh, companies and governments and other organizations investing in building service design teams internally. You know, even just if I look back five years ago, it's it's changed quite a bit. And, uh, you know, Toronto is headquarters of a lot of large organizations in Canada. Um, so that might be why we've got, we've got a few folks with us from, you know, some of the big insurance players and other financial services. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's changing across Canada and maybe mirrors a little bit of similar things happening in the US. I mean, we've got lots of Quite a few people from the U.S. as well in that group, right? Who are uh, part of these internal teams. So yeah, and uh, it's definitely growing. And it's funny to always hear uh, when I do uh, sort of the application calls for the circle that people feel that their country is lagging behind of, in terms of maturity or in terms of size. And I'm just hearing all these people from all these different countries, companies like every everybody is sort of trying to catch up and nobody is, seems really to be further ahead but it's just yeah, who are we trying to catch it, up to <laughs> exactly right yeah. yeah and it's just that it's uh less visible in some uh, areas so uh, some people do a better job at uh, positioning and marketing themselves and i don't know getting articles and videos out there and others are just doing their work and keeping it silent and it's funny to see uh that it's it's yeah like i said uh it's really global and uh toronto is well represented you mentioned the us but recently we started uh sort of the quote-unquote australia group and there are tons of people doing service design in australia but all of them feel like they are lagging behind towards i don't know the us the europe so you're not yeah. lagging behind just <laughs> i guess the other thing i'd add mark is just zooming out a bit i think part of what might be going on in a lot of organizations is they spent say the last five, 10 years really focused on this idea of, oh, we got a digital transformation, digital, digital transformation, you know, we have to kind of invest in it, catch up on it. And so now a lot of companies have sort of spent those big dollars, put new systems, platforms, you know, ways of interacting with their customers in place. But now they're sort of realizing like, oh, that wasn't the end of the job. You know, we can't, like now there's, we have to make those, uh, those services that might be using more digital interactions, we have to make them better. We have to figure out, like, are they actually delivering value? And I think that's where a lot of, at least with people I know and, and companies I know, that that sort of pattern that now has led to them being a bit more focused on, okay, well, we still have to, you know, improve the service, whether we digitize it or not. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that might be also driving some of the, you know, the growth or the, the desire to bring some more, um, you know, people who can do this type of work inside an organization yeah. and keep working on these things over longer time periods. Yeah, I agree. Sort of the consultancies have done a good job at sort of positioning this field for the last decade. And now 
think we are sort of really starting to see things ramp up internally and um, still a long way to go. But the fact that uh, uh, I also have a, a insider's view because I do see all the job uh, postings coming by on service design jobs. So I see mm -hmm. who is hiring, how many applications are coming by and that's growing as well. So I think um, we, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's, uh, it's good to see that, uh, that our community is expanding into literally all areas, all sectors, all countries. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the link to what we want to talk about today is that also means we're going to see more and more uh, companies go from like, oh, we have one person doing this or we're, you know, we've decided to try this service design thing out to maybe more and more having teams. And, and that's where you get into well, what does it take to make a team successful, right? As opposed to just one person uh, trying to do things on their own. Um, well, so yeah, yeah, excited to talk about that stuff. Yeah. yeah, thank you for the leeway. It sounds like you've been on a radio show before. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's dive into this. What does it take to make a team? In this case, we're going to look at a service design team, but this probably would apply to many other teams as well. What does it take them to be successful? Now, um, I always like to sort of set the stage first and understand you hosted uh, a session inside the circle and you mm -hmm. sort of picked this topic. How did you arrive uh, at this topic? Yeah, I guess it's been something I've been trying to look at within my own practice and with my own team for the last couple of years. Sort of this idea of, you know, aside from just keeping busy with the day-to-day -day work and saying, oh, you know, let's do a good job on this project or, you know, um, we've been asked to help with this challenge. Let's try and do a good job on it. It's a bit of, you know, realizing that I guess part of my role as a leader is not to just be heads down, you know, cranking out the work all the time or, or you know, helping the team do the next project, and the next project, and actually to say, okay, in addition to doing a good job uh, on the things we're working on, what else do I need to pay attention to uh, that's going to sort of determine whether we're successful longer term? So for me, that's kind of where it came from to sort of step back and a bit of reflection to say, okay, what it's, what's the stuff that cuts across all the work we do or all the projects we do, or that's, you know, bigger than any one engagement that we might be working on with our, with our partners inside the organization. Was there like a, a trigger that got you to reflect on this? Uh, because I, or was it where you struck that by lightning that you thought, oh, well, hang on, <laughs> hold on. I don't, I can't remember sort of a, a singular thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, it kind of came out of, you know, when I had first uh, started the, the role I'm in now, I was kind of rebuilding the team. So at first it was a bit of just focus on, okay, we need to hire some more people. We need to kind of, you know, get to know each other as a team. We need to establish, you know, how do we work? Uh, all those sorts of things. So I think it was maybe after, I had been really focused on that for maybe a year or so, then sort of taking a pause to kind of say, okay, some of those things are now done. So, you know, what else now, what kind of thing right now, now what's important to focus on. I think that's where I started sort of thinking more beyond just looking at the team and looking at how, you know, how do we interact across the organization? What else is kind of going to influence our success that part of some of it, I, can maybe control influence and some of it I really, uh, really need other people's help with or, or other people's uh, 
action to to make it happen. And uh, when you say uh, like to to make the team successful, how do you define success? Do you have a like what are your thoughts on that? I guess there's two answers. I mean, the really practical answer, and this maybe where I could even call this the cynical answer, could be, you know, how do we make sure that the team is seen as valuable so that we continue to exist? So, I mean, people listening might have been part of lots of different teams, um, particularly, you know, I've worked on a lot of innovation uh, teams uh, or sort of experience design. It's it can sometimes be seen as like, do we really need this? Is this just an extra cost? You know, um, oh, this is this is really great. Uh, it might help us three years down the road, but you know, is it helping us today, tomorrow, this quarter, this year? So, so there's a certain amount of like, okay, success is you know doing things that are valuable so that the team is you know seen as important and and. Uh, the organization wants to keep them around. The second answer is, you know, I think I worked with lots of service designers, other types of designers, really passionate, want to, you know, make an impact on the world. So that's the other answer is like, what are all the things that need to be true in terms of success factors to allow all the work we do to actually show up in the world and, and have some kind of positive impact. So we don't want to just be kind of, you know, running around working hard, you know, doing all all this stuff with good intentions, and then you know things don't materialize, or you know we we can't actually point to something out there in the world and say, look, look, that's that's the improvement we made, or this is the difference we made. Uh, you know, for a customer, or you know, if it's in another context, maybe for a citizen or a patient or whoever it might be. Right? If I would have to summarize these two things, I th the word that comes to mind is uh, staying relevant. Um, staying relevant internally that people see your value and appreciate your value and that they are able to articulate uh, your value, but also staying relevant uh, to the outside world, as in you're contributing uh, and making a tangible and meaningful impact and difference uh, outside. Yeah. And different teams might have a like a really concrete definition of success, right? They might have a big goal they're working towards. They might have, you know, they might already have something that kind of helps them all understand, like, this is what success means for us, you know, in the short term or in the midterm or in the long term. So my answers are kind of generic. You know, there could also be like a, a more tangible thing of like, okay, as a team, we're trying to, you know, solve this big problem or, you know, we've been tasked with you know, moving the needle on this metric or helping the organization achieve some, you know, bigger goal could, or it could be more like a team scale goal. So, yeah, I think like that's a whole other conversation around like, do you know what, <laughs> do you know what you're trying to accomplish? Do you have a good shared understanding of what that success is? And then you can work back from there to say, okay, well, what are the things that are going to move us towards that? And what are the things that might get in our way? So uh, that helps, and uh, let's fast forward a little bit. So you're okay. you're leading this team. You've uh, you've set up this team. It's running, and now you're reflecting on how can we be even more successful. Like, what's the uh, how do we take this to the next level? And, um, and the way I interpreted it uh, is that you sort of thought about a health check for the yeah. team. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's a that's sort of the analogy I think of right so the 
all these factors kind of are going to either keep the team healthy or get in the way, right? So you can use analogies to like literal, you know, check up with a doctor or, uh, or a health check. But yeah, and that's, I think it's also helps to kind of think of it um, in terms of not overanalyzing it. So I like the analogy of a health check because it kind of can go along with a bit of like, okay, you know, we're good in this area, uh, not so good. Or, you know, there's a real problem. We better book a surgery because, you know, your appendix is about to, <laughs> to give out on you. So kind of simplifying it in that sense, um, you know, so that when, when you understand what the success factors are, then you can kind of keep it simple in terms of, you know, like I, I love the sort of traffic light rating, you know, green light. Okay. Everything's good. We don't need to worry about this one yellow light as well. You know, maybe there's something we should be doing here and red light is like, there's a big problem. We need to take some action right away. So yeah, it's that, that health across we, yeah, we, the sort of framework we looked at in the circle group was really looking at 12 different things, which sounds like a lot, um, you know, and we can break it down a little bit and maybe focus more on on some of them today than others. But so it's pretty, you know, comprehensive, probably bordering on, you know, too much, too many things uh, to pay attention to. But, you know, they all seem sort of important in different ways. That's the thing that's super interesting. That's that's what we're going to get into the secret sauce because we can define and agree upon that a health check is a smart thing. But the next question that arises is, so what are you going to check? What is like what are good uh, indicators? Um, and uh, you eventually landed upon uh, a framework of I think twelve indicators. Yeah, um, and. Let's let's look under the hood. Let's uh, let's see what's inside um, this this framework. Maybe you can briefly take us through, like uh, the framework. What are the twelve things? And maybe we can then zoom into a few that were that you feel were uh, most relevant or resonated most with our other circle members. Yeah, for sure. So high level, the twelve are kind of broken into two groups. So I I think I kind of mentioned this a moment ago. You know, on on one side, there's four of them that really are dependent on other people in the organization. So really important for the success of the team, but, you know, really can't be sort of, you know, like the team itself all by itself can't uh, fully control these four factors. So maybe say a bit more about those in a second. And then the other eight are kind of grouped under the heading of, you know, mostly in the team's control. So things that, you know, might require us to be disciplined or to to have processes in place and still partner with other people, but more or less we can we can have sort of some control over those those eight things. Now you've heard us mention this circle a few times. If you're not familiar with the community, let me quickly bring you up to speed. The Circle is a small and intimate community for in-house service design professionals who want to deepen their craft. As an in-house service design professional, it can be hard to find people around you who understand what you do and who can help you grow. The Circle provides a safe space for you to connect with like-minded peers from companies across the world and learn from their wins and failures. As a member of our community, you get to join our monthly sessions where we deep dive into specific topics. Every topic is brought forward by one of our community members. 
This ensures that the things we discuss are relevant to the challenges in-house service designers face. Recent topics that we've explored include how service design can benefit from change management, how do you scale journeys across the organization, and what's the best way to embed service design internally. Oh, and in case you're wondering, no, you will not find a Slack channel inside the circle, and that's by design. We believe that real, meaningful conversations happen when people can connect and go deep. So we opt for less frequent but more focused interactions rather than forcing you to keep an eye out on a stream of ongoing shallow conversations that are mostly distracting instead of relevant. We have multiple circle groups running and we cover time zones all the way from Melbourne to San Francisco. So there's always going to be a group that will fit your schedule. If this sounds like a community of professionals that you'd like to join, here's what you need to do. Head over to servicedesignshow.com slash circle and see if you'd qualify to become a member. So that's servicedesignshow.com slash circle and you'll also find the link in the show notes of this episode. Now let's jump back into the conversation with Ben. So maybe I'll just quickly mention the four that are kind of bigger than the team and you know, let me know, Mark, if you want to kind of double click on any of them, so to speak. Um, they're, they're not going to sort of come across as like mind blowing, you know, probably folks listening have, have uh, experienced these or, or heard about these, but you know, there's four of them. So one is like, you know, is there a clear team purpose, right? Like, um, of course that's helpful for people in the team, but this one's more about like, does the organization know why this team is here? You know, what they're, what they're here to do. Uh, do they have sort of the, um, the belief that that's important? So a clear team purpose, um, assuming that's there, then you kind of get into some other ones, like, does the team have the right focus? So another way of putting that is just, you know, is the team working on things that actually matter to the strategy of the organization, right? And are they, you know, a good fit for that team? If the team's working on stuff that really isn't a good fit for them or that nobody actually cares about in the organization, that's probably not a good thing. Um, but we've all probably been there, you know, from time to time. Then you kind of get into things that are maybe a bit more like enablers, but are still bigger than the team. So the third one, like, does the team actually have the right investments? Do they have the, the people? Do they have the money? Do they have, you know, what they need to, uh, to do the work? Um, and then, you know, a big one that I'm seeing more and more, uh, the longer I do this kind of work is, you know, is there data available to the team? So that could be like, that's a broad bucket, but that could be like, is there data available about just the current state of what's going on, how things work is, you know, when the team actually, you know, tries new things or, you know, uh, makes changes to a service, is there actually data available to be able to say, oh, it's working like we thought it would, or no, it's not, or, you know, those types of things. So um, in some teams, maybe all that data capability lives within the team. Uh, but in my experience, it's often coming from somewhere else, you know, coming from another team, coming from other systems that, you know, for example, my team doesn't sort of quote unquote control or own. And you really usually need a lot of outside coordination and help to make sure you've got that data. So yeah, clear purpose. Do we have the right focus? Do we have the right investment? And is there actually data available to, to do the work we need to do? Are the, the four big ones that, 
uh, you can't do all by yourself within the team itself. Yeah, uh, these are the sort of the conditions that need to be in place uh, that enable you to do the work you need to do. Not only these four, but if you don't have these four, then uh, things will get more difficult, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. The team can yeah. still be functioning. It's just sure. are they are they healthy or are they kind of you know stumbling along with uh, you know having trouble breathing and you know that type of thing to go back yeah. to the yeah health they'll check, be less right? effective probably exactly. that's the yeah okay uh, makes sense and uh, let's move on uh, we have so this is the the uh, one of the quadrants uh, what is the other one because we have four so we have three other quadrants left. Uh, the other one, which I'll maybe touch on briefly, and then we'll we'll kind of get to the, maybe the the meatier one. So the other thing is still so on the other side, you know, the idea of okay, there's some things that are more within the control of the team. Um, two of the two of the factors are really like I like to think of them more as characteristics of the team. So these two are you know the degree to which the team members have enough expertise and the degree to which the team members have enough credibility. So expertise meaning just like, do they have the skills? Do they understand the methodology? Like their, their sort of ability to do the work, right? Um, you know, expertise can be obviously learned, built up over time. You know, if you don't have the right expertise, you can hire people who do have it. So it's more of sort of a characteristic uh, of the, the people on the team and how that kind of adds up um, when you consider everybody together and the credibility, you know, for me, this one's a bit more like, it's still a characteristic of the team members, you know, they're either going to have a lot or a little, but this is really about, do they have credibility with the, the people inside the organization, the people they collaborate with, the decision makers they work with, um, people they partner with. And that could come from their past experience. It could come from just having a lot of industry knowledge, um, and how they sort of show that and, uh, you know, show others that, you know, Hey, I know what I'm talking about. You know, you can rely on me. Um, there's a big part of credibility too. That's like, you know, do you say what you're going to do? Sorry. Do you do what you say you're going to do? You know, how do you show up all those things that kind of, uh, form that perception. But again, those two, you know, the expertise and the credibility piece, um, are more kind of like characteristics of the team. They can still be they can change over time, obviously. And as a team, you could focus on improving the health of those if, if they're not where um, it seems they need to be. So then that, that leaves six more, right? Which is where um, maybe we can dive in more and, and get into some more examples and, and details. But the other six are still within the control of the team, but um, you can think of them more as like practices, right? So things that are actually about taking action routines what does the team do as opposed to those those last two which are more like the characteristics like who is the team and you know so these six practices um again they're probably gonna some of it will sound very familiar and and i think you know what's interesting to me is that these aren't really about service design methodologies right these and you know they're more about kind of just how do effective teams work? And a lot of this stuff we can borrow from other disciplines. We can, you know, we can adapt things from uh, from other contexts that can be super helpful. So, um, so what are the six, right? So maybe Mark, mm -hmm. I'll I'll start with one and just jump in if you want to kind of 
spend more time on it um, before we before we go to another one. So a big one is, you know, the degree to which the team's regularly demonstrating value or results. So again, kind of sounds obvious, but it's still good to pay attention to this and have some way of assessing it, right? So are we, you know, when it comes to demonstrating value, are we green light? Are we yellow light? Are we red light? Um, and this this is really, you know, you got to decide as a team, who do we need to demonstrate the value to, right? Let's be clear on, you know, who needs to see that value or see the results that our work is creating. Um, and it could be anything, right? This could be, you know, qualitative, quantitative, it could be leading indicators of success. It could be lagging indicators. It could be a whole bunch of things, but kind of being clear on what, you know, what counts as, as value or, or a good result. And then, you know, how are we actually demonstrating it? And the demonstrating word is important, right? Cause we might be creating the value, but it might not be obvious to people, or we might not be, you know, telling the story enough or sharing it widely enough or often enough or all those sorts of things. So that all kind of plays into like, how healthy is this as a success factor for the team? How do you gauge this? How do you know that you're doing a good job? Yeah, that's a good question, right? I think I've used sort of a combination of like self-assessment, team assessment, you know, talking to my boss, um, surveying some of our key stakeholders. It's tough though, because it's like, it could, as a very high level question, you might not get a lot of valuable answers if you just sort of say like, Hey, are we providing value? <laughs> right? Yes, no. It's not that's not a great way to ask, but if you can kind of be more clear on like like I said, what are the types of value? Um or you know, another way to look at it is, you know, just having some dialogue with other partners internally around like what are they finding valuable, right? Um and sometimes you can kind of work backwards from that to sort of say, well, well that's interesting, either that that's what we are trying to do that's valuable or it's not. And hmm, okay, what does that tell us as a team? You know, do we need to do a better job at certain things? Or maybe there's some other things that people would find more useful and we should spend more time doing that. Yeah, I have one uh, sort of magic question that mm -hmm. almost always works uh, in defining the value that you create. And that is um, a variation of, what would you miss if we would sort of fire the entire team tomorrow? Yeah. It's it's way easier for people to articulate what they'll miss than what value you're actually creating. Um, so yeah, m you might want to give that one a try. Like what what would you that. have missed yeah. if if you if we wouldn't if we weren't part of this project or if we if we would all quit tomorrow? Uh that's that's usually a very good way to get somebody to articulate the value that you're creating. And it's one of those classic things of like keep asking why until, you know, until you really understand what's kind of under the surface, right? Cuz sometimes you yep. might get an, you know, I've gotten answers to to the sort of value question that might be like, well, you know, we really, you know, really appreciate you helping us collaborate. Well, okay, what does that really mean and why is that important like, you know, kind of breaking breaking it down until you can as a team, you can kind of say, this is what really matters to people. And again, you know, this is what we need to do more of or, uh, or demonstrate it more often and uh, maybe be a bit more vocal about how we communicate th that value or that result or that, that benefit that we're, that we're creating. All right, got it. Let's, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, so the other one, um, also about like 
so even though this is, I, I feel this one's something the team can really drive and, and, uh, and control, you know, the, the next one is really about proactive stakeholder management. So that sounds very jargony, right? Proactive stakeholder management, but this is, you know, it's really as simple as like, are we being proactive in talking to our stakeholders, keeping them up to date, getting feedback from them, you know, managing their expectations. So a whole bunch of stuff could, could fit under here. But again, if you think of it as kind of a health check for a team, it's, it's sort of the question of like, okay, when it comes to being proactive in terms of communicating with our stakeholders and, and making sure we're meeting their needs, you know, are we doing, if we're doing well at this green light, no problem. You know, if we've, if we've noticed signals that hmm, sometimes this isn't happening or sometimes, you know, an important sponsor or stakeholder comes to us and says, I have no idea what's going on with X or, you know, I'm really confused why we're doing this. Uh, I don't understand why we're, you know, spending time and energy on this or, you know, other things like that might make you go, hmm, okay, is this more of a yellow light? You know, so I think it's a, it's another one like the last one we talked about where it's not like you're just going to get a letter in the mail that says, here's what's going on, right? You probably have to um, kind of, have your your eyes open for different signals and you know notice what's what's happening or what's not happening in some cases right i i'm curious as a, a very brief sidestep is is this uh health check this framework uh sort of somewhere very uh openly visible to your team like or is it something that you keep uh for yourself like how do you how do you communicate this yeah it's something i've talked with the team about but we aren't I got to be honest, we're not sort of regularly looking at it and keeping it sort of, you know, top of mind. I think that's something this year I'd like to explore, you know, how do we do that a bit better? Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a great question, right? I mean, some of this might feel to people like, well, it might be a little sensitive or there might be like, you know, we're making, we're sort of making judgments and assessments and, um, you know, some people might want to sort of have a, almost like a version that's sort of, you know, just for them where they can really censor, yeah. You know, keep keep all the the good, the bad, and the ugly there. And then think about like, okay, what's a good way to share this with others if you you also want their input or you want to be able to communicate that like, hey, maybe as a team, look, we've noticed that we're not doing a, a great job at this communication with you as a sponsor, right? And we want to be able to talk about making that better. So it might be about sort of selectively kind of sharing some of it but um you know I, my point of view is the more that the team can um see it and and also have their own take on some of these things the more effective it's going to be right because i might think that we're a green light in the stakeholder management but if i talk to the team i might hear enough from them that says well actually you know they they've seen things and they've experienced things that i haven't and they'd put that at a yellow light or a red light or something right yeah i can i can totally see how uh, sharing responsibility in some areas could be very beneficial and uh, would lead to very interesting conversations uh, inside the team uh, yeah Okay, that was a, a short sidestep. Uh, so we've talked about demonstrating value and proactive stakeholder management. Uh, let's continue with the list. Yeah, so we'll, let's do the kind of least exciting, least interesting one. Uh, this is one of those kind of like uh, important, but maybe not sort of super uh, <laughs> you know, exciting ones. I just 
group a bunch of things under like, to what degree do we have effective practices for scoping work, planning it and managing the work, right? So this, you know, kind of includes everything from like capacity planning on the team, right? Like how do we know, you know, how much capacity we have? Can we take on more work? Are we, are we kind of, you know, are people overloaded and at risk of like burning out? Um, How do you, you know, if you have a bunch of requests coming to you from internal partners, how do you decide which one to work on? Um, you know, how do you plan the workout in detail? And then how do you manage it along the way, right? Which is, you know, aside from that stakeholder piece is much broader, like the overall project management, communication, you know, how do you provide status updates to everybody who needs them? Um, all that stuff, you know, that's, again, it's not always the, the thing that's going to get people really jazzed and excited. But if you don't have these things as a, as a team and certainly as a internal service design team, um, you're, you're going to be less effective and probably the people on the team and the people that the team are working with are going to get frustrated, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk a lot about this stuff. I don't know if there's anything in this, in this factor that you'd want to, you know, I, th- I think on. we need to do a, a separate circle a session <laughs> on project management and service design or design in general, because uh, like the, the nature of the design process sometimes uh, feels very conflicting to the way organizations are used to manage projects. Yeah, so for let's, sure. let's not dive into that uh, today yeah, yeah. and keep that, <laughs> keep that avenue open for another conversation. Um, okay, scoping makes sense. Uh, what's number four on the list? Yeah, so this one's, I love this one a little more interesting. Uh, the idea of learning-oriented feedback practices, right? So that could include like individual scale feedback, like project scale stuff, like retrospectives, team scale feedback, right? Where you maybe regularly come together to reflect, you know, decide what you want to take action on and 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 actually make changes. Um, it could also be much less formal, like what happens when there's conflict on the team? You know, are people good at like treating the conflict as a learning opportunity and as a feedback opportunity? Um, or does it sort of uh, turn into a, a big problem and and uh, get in the way of the team? So this whole idea of, and I, I, I like the term learning-oriented feedback, just to really underscore that whatever these practices are that that you're doing as a team, um, you know, should really be geared towards like how do we learn from the feedback we're getting from each other, from you know, people outside the team, whatever it whatever it happens to be. So like when we talked about this in the circle, one of the examples that uh, people explored, uh, which is kind of a, a flavor of this, is like setting up a, a community of practice, right? So like a, you know, maybe across an organization, bringing together people who are interested in whatever it, it could be like a design community of practice. It could be a research community of practice. Um, and there's lots of benefits to that stuff, but from this angle, it would, it would be like, okay, that's one practice that can help teams learn and get better by, you know, sharing what, what they're doing, what works, what doesn't work, all those sorts of things. So, um, I mean, there's lots of other examples. I mentioned like project retrospectives. So that's something like our team is still, trying to get better at not just doing the retrospective at the end of the project, but being more deliberate, you know, if we're doing a project that's longer than a certain number of weeks or a couple months, we say, okay, we're going to do like a midpoint 
retrospective. So again, these aren't ideas that are unique to service design or, or even design in general, um, but they can be super helpful uh, for a service design team to find their own version of it, right? Yeah, and I guess these are things that you sort of, uh, it's easy to forget about them and neglect them and yes. only come back, to, come back to them once it's too late. Exactly. Uh, there, there is a reason why it's called a health check. Usually, like you don't want to be that person that uh, eats unhealthy food and I don't know, when you're 60 or 65, come to the conclusion that you should have watched your diet more closely when you were 20. Yeah. Um, you need to do that on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you if you, if that's not ingrained in your DNA, in the culture, you need tools like this to help you sort of stay on the right track. Yeah. And the green light, you know, versus the yellow light in this case could be something like, you know, oh, oh yeah, well, we, you know, we, in theory, talk about doing retrospectives, but are we actually doing them in practice, right? So like the yellow light might be like, well, you know what, we're doing it 80% of the time, but really as a team we want to be doing it 100 percent of the time so yeah i i recall uh, one example from the last conversation we had about a completely different topic um where you sort of uh gave the example that you look at your calendar and see how time you've allocated for a certain activity and i can imagine something like this would also work here like how much time have we actually spent on reflection and retrospectives and yeah. uh, getting feedback in the last month? Uh, very often your agenda reflects your priorities. And if you can't point to at least a few things, then it might be a good moment to turn that green light into yellow light or orange light, like you said. Yeah, I love that. So like, how do you, again, how do you kind of track or assess these in some way? What are the yeah. signals you can look for? And that's, that's one yeah. way to do it. For if sure. it's not in your schedule, then... That's that's already one signal. It's not the definite signal, but it's a signal. Yeah. What's next? We have two more. Yeah, five out of six here. So this one's a, maybe a little different. It's this. Um, so I read an amazing book a few years ago called The Progress Principle. So if anyone listening hasn't checked it out, highly recommend it because it's all about what are the most important predictors of like innovation, team success, and satisfaction. And really great uh, kind of research-backed findings, um, really in-depth qualitative research was done uh, to inform the book. Uh, so I'll give the kind of the very high-level summary slash, you know, spoiler is really out of all the things that they looked at, the most important factor was do the people on the team feel they're making daily progress on meaningful work? So it's kind of two components there, right? It's 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 literally like daily progress, not like, oh yeah, well, over the last month, I guess I made some progress. It's like, do I feel that every day? And the more days I feel that, you know, versus not. Um, and then meaningful work, obviously, hugely open to interpretation, but it just underscores that it's it's progress on something that matters to the person and feels like it matters to the organization, right? It's not just like, well, you know, I kept busy today and got 20 things done, but who cares, right? So those, why this is here kind of as a, as a factor is because kind of like what we talked about a minute ago, it's easy to kind of ignore this or not pay attention to it. So for me, this was a, a way of sort of reminding myself that, um, this is really important. So there need to be some practices that that help with that and some attention 
paid to it. And I'll give you like one example that um, I started uh, using a couple years ago, then I stopped with the pandemic and I'm just restarting this year. Um, it's, it's basically a, a, you know, a, an actionable kind of piece of advice from this book, The Progress Principle. And it's as simple as just at the end of the day, keeping like basically a little diary of like, what did I do in this case, like as a team leader to help people make progress? And it's just a quick reflection, you know, ability to kind of keep myself accountable on a daily basis and trigger the thought of like, oh yeah, actually this person is stuck on something. Okay. Tomorrow, what can I do to, to help them move forward? And that could be a coaching conversation. It could be Maybe I, I need to take some action with somebody outside the team. It could be, oh, yeah, I've, they've been asking me for, you know, some new software license so they can do their work. But like, it could be anything, right, that, that sort of moves that person forward and makes them feel like they've made some meaningful progress. So that little, like, self-reflection journaling activity, you know, five to ten minutes at the end of the day uh, is sort of the practice piece that can, that can help keep this success factor, you know, in the green, um, obviously talking with your team members on a regular basis too. Right. Uh, so it kind of links to that, that feedback one, like, how do I know if people feel like they're making daily progress? Right. Yeah. So. The, the, the first thing that came to my mind where you were sharing this was journaling, like, uh, that, that is, and, uh, the end of the day, uh, kind of journaling, uh, mm -hmm. I, I did it as well for a long time. I still journal twice a day, like in the morning and in the uh, evening. But uh, I also had the end of the day uh, reflection. And uh, what I was thinking about was um, when I when I had that practice at the end of the day, I linked my activities uh, to the sort of objectives that we as a team set. We as a team is in this case me as Mark. Mm -hmm. But uh, I take time to sort of set out yearly and quarterly objectives. And I try to see, like, did I actually do something to uh, uh, take a step in the right direction towards achieving one of those objectives? And that um, uh, gave me a lot of uh, uh, sense of accomplishment. That's the mm -hmm. thing. That That's the thing I was looking for. Like, because you're never done. Your to-do list only gets bigger. But if you can say, like, okay, I took at least a step in the right direction. I'm not done. But uh, that gave me a lot of uh, peace of mind and sort of, yeah, sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. Okay, this was a good day. Yeah, I think it's a great point because, you know, a lot of times if you're, you know, if people listening are doing service design work, especially within larger organizations, it can often feel like there's just more to do, more to do. Okay, we're not there yet. Like it's just all these things, or maybe they're feeling like there's all these, there might be like five areas where, oh, I didn't this, I hoped this would happen, but it didn't. So I think as a, especially as a team leader, it's also important to shine a bit of a spotlight on the things that did happen or, you know, hey, this was a win, right? Or, you know, how do you feel about the fact that you, got this done or you, you know, you move that forward. And I'm, I'm not always great at that. Cause sometimes I'm just sort of like thinking ahead to like, okay, well, what is the next thing or right. But so taking the time to call it out and making some space, uh, you know, whether it's one-on-one -on -one conversations or just, you know, in, in the team with the whole group there to actually talk about where we made progress, talk about those, those little wins um, yeah, yeah, and not, yeah. not forget to, give them their time in the sun.
right? Celebrate, like because that's uh, if you if you only celebrate quote unquote the big success, mm -hmm. then you can wait a pretty long time. It's going to take a while to to get the chance to celebrate that big success, and um, that doesn't really keep you going and motivated exactly you need to celebrate the daily things the win of the day like what is your win of the day what is the win of the week that's way more like you're here and now that's the only thing that counts and uh, the other thing i wanted to share about this is i think uh, the it's it's the finding the balance between being ambitious and always wanting to do better bigger there's always something more you always see inspiration and you always see opportunities to to do something new and i think that's good and healthy and sort of uh yeah it's 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 just good to be ambitious and at the same time you need to appreciate the small wins that you did today that's that's i think finding that balance is uh yeah is the trick absolutely okay one more let's go um, yeah kind of relates to what we we're just talking about this this last one is really around practices that are about keeping uh, a good sense of appreciation and recognition within the team um so again speaks to like like why is this important well motivation right um another important kind of health check elements and this could be anything from like just informally you know saying hey i really appreciate what you did for me today or hey that was that was great you know that win you had way to go and that that type of thing or sort of larger scale more formal uh forms of appreciation and recognition um and again this you know what does that mean for each team is probably going to be different you know if you work in a in a large organization like i do there's kind of a, a layer over top that might be like you know there's kind of like performance feedback there might be like quarterly or annual reviews run by hr there might be all that stuff that's also about like recognition and and appreciation and 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 in some ways feedback but i find it's important to also sort of think about like what are we doing at the team scale in addition to whatever kind of bigger things might exist um and what are we doing a bit like the daily progress it's also about saying like you know, most people, myself included, don't just want some recognition or some appreciation once a year, right? Or once a quarter. <laughs> so, you know, it's also about kind of asking yourself, like, is this happening frequently enough um, and deliberately enough? Yeah, uh, and that's uh, it. Could be a gratitude journal uh, or a gratitude uh, uh, entry in your journal. Uh, it's super interesting that these things also flow very naturally into your own life or maybe the team you some people call family so like you said this definitely isn't only applicable to to our work to design to service yeah, design absolutely like one of the one of the practices that um the folks in the circle alliance talked a bit more about was um, and i think it kind of links to this one and maybe some other ones is the idea of you know creating a team charter so just a a kind of document that says here's who we are as a team you know, here's our ways of working, here's what matters to us, you know, because if you have that and it's it's genuinely like a shared understanding across the team, you know, it's much easier to then say, hey, you know what, Mark did an awesome job on X and that's part of like our values as a team or that's, you know, one of our important kind of ways of working as a team. And so it, you know, it can really help to understand what matters to the group and and sort of have that collective agreement um, that then sort of becomes part of like, how do you, how do you recognize each other on the team and, 
and show appreciation for the stuff that you've already agreed matters. I, I feel a charter coming up for the circle. Yeah, I think we are entering a stage <laughs> where one would be really helpful because we started out as a small and intimate group and now we're growing larger and new members are joining, which is exciting. But uh, something like a charter could definitely help them to uh, quickly feel more at home and at ease. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> challenge yeah. accepted then. Um, sort of heading towards the end of uh, this episode, I still have uh, two questions left. So this health check, this framework, um, would you define this as a version 0.2, 1.0, version 2.0? Like how often have you iterated on this? I'd say this is 2.0. I had an earlier version a couple of years ago and then updated it more recently. Um, so yeah, I think still could iterate more. Um, but so for example, I think in the first version that I had just sort of sketched out for myself, there was nothing about appreciation or recognition, right? And in hindsight, it's like, well, of course that's important in a team, right? But that was just sort of not, for whatever reason, I hadn't sort of thought of that as a as a standalone thing that that's worth kind of assessing. You know, how healthy is this uh, aspect on the team? So you know, definitely added some things in, and I could imagine like there's probably other, you know, other factors, or some people might sort of say, well, these ones don't really you know aren't as important and could narrow it down for themselves, right? And focus on some instead of others. I get adding more stuff to uh, a list isn't always the best thing. Sometimes even removing things. <laughs> exactly. Um, so version three might be even uh, more narrow than uh, it's more elaborate. Now, if you had to, out of these 12, just select one uh, for for like a version three. And what do you consider to be out of these things for you in your specific sense, uh, situation to be the most helpful thing to focus on? If you could only narrow it down to one thing, what would be your top priority to focus on? Great question. I'm always lousy at picking <laughs> picking just one thing. I would say, I think for myself right now, it's the regularly demonstrating value. Again, it's not a new idea, but I would sort of zoom in on the the, the word demonstrating. So um, I think it's it's about asking myself like, when we think about the practices that we do as a team, the actions that we take as a team, like what are we maybe not doing enough of or not doing regularly enough that would demonstrate the value in a, in a better way to the right people? So that's for sure, that's a, a current focus of mine. Cool. We are going to make this framework available, right? Uh, people will yeah, be able to actually sure. see the image and... Um maybe iterate upon it and adjust and uh, remix and absolutely uh, yeah if you do please i would say share your updated or changed versions with us uh, that would be really cool right yeah we'll do okay the link is going to be in the show notes uh, of this episode um uh, i think for us uh, it's about time to wrap up then uh uh if you uh could summarize this episode in one or two sentences like how would you summarize our last i don't know 60 minutes i would say a lot of value in knowing what your own success factors are and checking in on them more regularly than you think you need to 
That sounds like a good uh, takeaway from uh, our conversation here. Uh, ben, thanks again uh, for coming on on the show. Looking forward to future sessions uh, of The Circle. And uh, I hope people uh, enjoyed our chat and will find the framework uh, useful. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was great. Awesome that you've made it this far. I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation and, of course, got something useful out of it. Once again, a big thanks to Ben for coming on the show and sharing the Circle highlights with us. As a final note, don't forget that if you want to get all the ins and outs of the things we discuss inside our community sessions, and not just a summary here on this podcast, consider joining us in the Circle. You'll meet other passionate service design professionals who also want to learn and grow just like you. There is an application process to become a member of this community. So if you'd like to know if you qualify, head over to servicedesignshow.com slash circle for all the details. And you'll also find the link in the show notes of this episode. My name is Mark Fontaine and I want to thank you for spending a small part of your day with me. Please keep making a positive impact and I'll catch you very soon in a brand new episode of The Service Design Show. See you then.